Good morning, everybody. Thank you for a little bit of time to share with you about a really fabulous opportunity to be in community and to be in fellowship with each other. You may have seen one of these little slips of paper on the chairs around you. I hope that you'll grab one and take it home with you. This information is all about our community Passover Seder that is in just a couple of Saturdays, Saturday, April 30th. If you've been around here for any length of time, you'll know that most times that we have done the Seder, it has coincided with the week of Easter. And this year, Passover actually doesn't begin until um, the weekend of April 24th. And so our Seder meal is somewhat separate from Holy Week. But I hope that you will make time in your schedule to join us right here in this room at 6 o'clock on April 30th, and we'll celebrate together. We'll hear the story of freedom out of slavery and learn about how we are in that story. It's not just a story from ages ago. It's our story today. If you would like to come, please know, first of all, that you've got to have a ticket. And on this little piece of paper, it tells you how to get the tickets. You can go through the city if you're on the city. You can email me. My email address is here, and I can help you. You can also go to the New Heights webpage, which is newheights.cc, and there is a Passover link on that page. Click the link, and it will show you how to get set up for the Seder. It is meant to be a night for your family, so don't feel like you've got to get a babysitter. The kids are welcome and encouraged to be a part of it. This is for them, too, but if you feel like your kids are just way too small, there will be child care here, and it says on the sheet that you just have to make a reservation, and your littlest ones can be in child care. I'll be here at the end of the service right back at the blue table if you'd like to ask me questions or if you want to get registered right then. I'd be glad to help you do that. Thanks. Thank you, Stacy. Yeah, I think about the child as having the starring role in the Passover meal. It's the child at the table that asks, why is this night different from all other nights? To bring your children. So this morning, I turned on the television just to do a quick weather check to Ken's five, and there was Pastor Michael Crocker's face. And he was praying that there wouldn't be any rain at the river. So I don't know what to tell you about the weather forecast. I don't know if it's going to be dry or we're going to have a flood. <laughs> I'm not sure. He was also praying for unity for the city. And I think that's important this week as we celebrate Fiesta. So the one announcement that I have is connected to Fiesta, just that the New Zion Choir is selling these Fiesta medals that have the name of our church on them. And the benefits to, uh, that they make, the money that they make, goes towards their um, mission trip this summer. So they're out here in the lobby. If you have an extra $10 to spare, you might want to see them. Our scripture passage this morning is from Exodus. We're in chapter 17 of Exodus. So the Israelites are on their way to freedom, to the promised land. This is Exodus chapter 17, and it's verses 14 through 16. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it the Lord is my banner. He says, he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Well, I don't know what you were doing 
on Tuesday night this week. But on Tuesday night of this week, it had been a long day for all five of us. And we were all at home. I was uh, binge watching The People versus OJ. And it sounded like on my back porch, a potted plant had been knocked over. So I looked out, I stood up and I looked out into the uh, dark uh, to see what had knocked over the potted plant. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, golf ball sized hail dumped out of the sky. The noise was so loud that in our house, we couldn't hear one another talk. I immediately decided it wasn't safe to be by the windows, and it certainly wasn't safe to be in the yard. The only safe place, I thought, was in the middle of the house. So I took my three children to the hallway in the middle of the house, and we stood there. I'm not going to tell you where Keith was. (laughs) Close to the yard. (laughs) The problem with the Amalekites in the Bible is that on a much larger scale, they are like that bad hailstorm that we had this week in San Antonio at the end of a long day. In the Old Testament, the Amalekites attack God's people suddenly and ruthlessly. They come out of nowhere, and they viciously attack, and they attack when the Israelites are on their way to freedom. We read a scripture passage from Exodus, but here's another scripture passage from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 25:18 says, When you were weary and worn out, The Amalekites met you on your journey, and they attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. So the Amalekites go after those who can't get to the middle of the pack or who aren't at the front of the pack. They are after the vulnerable. They are after the weak. They are after the infirm. Uh, Those who aren't standing in the middle of the house during the storm, maybe those who are out in the driveway in their car or those who are standing by the window. The one thing that God desires for God's people, as we read the overview of the story of the Bible, is freedom. And the Amalekites are ruthlessly attacking God's people on their way to freedom. So I believe that the Lord's contempt about the Amalekites has two different pieces to it. First, there's this value of freedom. And the second part of it is a desire that God has to protect the weak or a value that God sees in what is weak and vulnerable. It's counterintuitive, I think, because so often I act and I think like it would be best if the weakest link, the frailty, the imperfection, or even the exhaustion that I have were not a part of my life. Just get rid of it, I think. I'll be stronger without that person. Our organization will be better, or my life will be better without that weakness. The Lord says to the Israelites, you are my people. I am pleased with you. But that weakness, those people who are in the back of the pack, those are my most, that's my most special place. We see this not only in this journey narrative, but throughout the Bible. In Moses. Moses is God's spokesperson, right, who doesn't speak very well. We see it in the story of Esther, who is supposed to be God's emissary, who's recognized in court initially not for her wisdom, but just for her physical beauty. To the Apostle Paul, who when the church at Corinth says, Paul, show us your credentials, 
Show us what you've done, what you're about. Paul writes back, I don't boast about my strengths, but I boast about my weaknesses. Because the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. So I might warn you this morning as we consider this text in Exodus. Beware of your next inclination to wipe out the weakness from your organization or from yourself. You may be picking off the very place that God values. The spot where God is the most visible the easy access place for God's glory. And on the topic of freedom, freedom, I believe, is God's number one priority for us. So whatever stands in the way to freedom is game for God to eliminate. Whatever stands in the way. There is an interesting rabbinical teaching about this story of the Amalekites picking off the Israelites. And it goes like this. The Israelites are on their way to the promised land. It is the Amalekites who attack them from behind, and they capture those who are lagging in the back. That's all in the Bible. Here's the teaching. The Amalekites take those people that they capture, and they sell them back into slavery in Egypt. Whoa. If God's intention is freedom for these people, not only are they attacking These people on their way to freedom, but they are working against God's intention. They're reversing God's act. They're selling the people back into slavery. So an Amalekite is anyone or anything that enslaves, physically capturing or oppressing, spiritually controlling, whatever is controlling or enslaving you, that's where the bullseye is. God wants to blot it out. I think it's easy for us to see the problem that God has with the Amalekites. They work against freedom, and they don't value the vulnerable. But I wonder if you can see the problem that you and I are going to have with the Amalekites. It's not as easy to see. We're so so far removed from this story that I think we don't see it when we read about the Israelites versus the Amalekites. They just look like enemies. It's much like the problem that I had this week on Monday night when I went to the Alamo Heights Little League field. I was going to field five because I knew that's where my eight-year-old played. And so I had my eight-year-old with me. He was dressed in his Little League uniform. It's navy blue and red. We got to field five. On field five, there are six kids out in the outfield warming up. They're in navy blue and red. I send Daniel out there. He goes running out towards them. He comes back out the gate. And he comes around to me and he says, not my team. It was the team we were playing, though. It was red and navy blue versus navy blue and red. Not only were the colors the same, but it was the Braves versus the Indians. (laughs) The enemy looked just like the good guy. The bad guy looked just like the good guy. In the Bible, not only are the bad guy and the good guy Not only do they look alike, but they're related. The Amalekites are descendants of Esau, and Esau is the brother of Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel in the book of Genesis. So Jacob is the father of the Israelites, and Esau is the father of the Amalekites. Esau 
is the older of the two brothers of, of Esau and Jacob. But Jacob tricks his birthright away from him and, uh, and gets his father's deathbed blessing. His father Isaac rejects the older son Esau and gives that blessing to Jacob. So there is this line of thought that tracks an inheritance of rejection or inheritance of pain from Esau through the Amalekites, through Haman in the story of Esther. So in this branch of the family tree where the Amalekites are, woundedness becomes the source of violence. I do believe that it's good and important to notice our wounds and at the same time not pass them on. Maybe that's one important lesson that we can learn from the Amalekites. Notice what's what is attacking you. Notice what's wounding you, but make sure not to pass it on. You know, it's that classic example of the man who has some trouble at work. He comes home and he yells at his wife, who in turn yells at the child, who then turns and kicks the dog. The the uh, The violence just gets passed on. The anxiety just works its way through the system, fuels each person's actions, hurt people, hurt people. So we seek not to pass on the pain, but we seek to find healing. Like I said, it's fine, and I believe important to notice pain, to notice uh, what is causing us to suffer. We just don't hand the steering wheel over to pain in our metaphorical car, right? When pain gets in the car, we say, I see you. I know you want to ride in the in the front seat. You can't ride in the front seat. You get in the back and put that seat belt on. I'm driving the car. You're not driving the car. We don't want pain to fuel our actions. The Amalekites are not the only cousins in the Bible that fight with the Israelites. In the first century, in the gospel stories of Jesus, we hear about the Samaritans. Now, the Samaritans and the Jews both see themselves as the true inheritors of the promises that were given to Abraham and Moses. And there are both rabbinical and historical accounts of the clashes between the two groups, between the Samaritans and the Jews, and the different ways that they offend and mistreat one another. But Jesus, Jesus is not offended. When asked to define the word neighbor in the greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus defines the neighbor as a Samaritan man. He elevates the enemy to the point where the Jewish listener can see the possibility of what the enemy may have to offer him. Interesting to me that scripture says, the scripture that we read this morning, I will blot out the name of Amalek and his descendants from under heaven. And yet here we see reading, here we sit this morning reading the name of Amalek. It hasn't been blotted out. So what's going on? I suspect that our strategy has been off. We seek to offend the offenders, and attack the attackers, and the pain just continues. It just multiplies. It's kind of like a starfish. Years ago, a mollusk fishermen would catch starfish in their nets, and because starfish ate mollusks, 
they would want to destroy the starfish, so they'd cut it up into several pieces and toss it back into the water. And you know what happens to a starfish when you cut it up into pieces? It turns into more starfish. And so then many reefs became overpopulated with starfish. Could it be that we as God's people have just multiplied oppression and violence by seeking to obliterate it? Could there be a different, a better way? What if the way to wipe out an Amalekite is by invitation or assimilation? You're one of us. And even if you don't want to be one of us, we want you to be one of us. We will turn the other cheek. We will think compassion when we think of you. One of my favorite uh, preachers is a man named Fred Craddock. And one of my favorite stories of his, he told about his father. Fred Craddock grew up to be a preacher, but his father never went to church. In fact, there was a line that he said over and over again about church. He would say, I don't like the church. All they want from me is my name on the roll and my money in the offering plate. He said it to his family. When they would get home late from church, he would complain that lunch wasn't on the table on time. And he would say, I don't like the church. All they want is my name and the roll and my money and the offering. He said it to his wife's friends, and he even said it to the pastor of the church. But Craddock says there was one time, one time that he didn't say it. He was in a veteran's hospital and down to 73 pounds. The doctors had cut out his throat and said to his family, it's too late. He couldn't eat and he couldn't speak. And so Craddock, who is then a pastor, flies across the country to go see his dad. And he walks into the hospital room. And when he walks into the hospital room, he said there were plants everywhere and flowers everywhere. And a stack of cards 20 inches inches deep beside his bed. Every last card, every last plant, every last bloom from somebody in the church. He couldn't talk. So he grabbed a Kleenex box and he wrote on the side of the Kleenex box a word from Shakespeare. In this harsh world, he wrote, draw your breath in pain to tell my story. Craddock said, what's your story, daddy? And he wrote, I was wrong. I was wrong. I think as we consider the scripture passage from Exodus, the call is definitely to wipe out an Amalekite. But we want to do it differently, and we want to do it permanently. So let's use love. Would you pray with me? Eternal God, You know where we struggle. You know where we fight. You know the aggression that comes against us. We ask this morning that you uh, would make visible to us the path to freedom. That where we look and see opposition as a barricade, you would provide a new way and a better way to freedom. You see where we are enslaved and you want different what is different for us 
You want a free way and a strong way. And we ask that you would allow us to step in that direction this day. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.